Thank you. Hey, it's, it's, it's too much. <clears throat> thank you. Thank you very much. I am glad. I'm, I apologize for, the, for all, all that. I'm blaming my wife for doing that. Thank you, sweetheart. But I do, uh, there are some just wonderful people that you got to see a glimpse of that are doing things around the world that are quite remarkable. And it is a deep uh, honor and humbling privilege to be in any way a friend and to support those amazing people. So it made me happy to see uh, my friends across the world and uh, to, 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 to know that God's doing good things all over the world. And the best is yet to come. Amen. For a few moments, I'm going to try to regain my composure and go to part four of the book of Romans. This is chapter five, but it's part four. And we'll be reading from the book of Romans, beginning with verse one. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Talked about this last week through our Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest thing that you can experience in this world is the forgiveness of your sins. And the greatest consequence of the forgiveness of your sins is having peace with God. And having peace with God is the most satisfying experience a human soul can have. To know that we're at rest. And not even at rest with God, but we're in a relationship, a friendship with the creator of the universe. Verse 2. Through whom also you have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So we are rejoicing not just that we've been justified out of something, but we rejoice in the grace that sustains us. A great acronym for grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is this massive word that covers all that God gives us in Christ. And this whole book has so much to do with grace. In fact, we're going to close in a couple points from this chapter talking about grace. Verse 3, and not only that, but we also glory. The word glory there just simply means rejoice, to celebrate joyously. We rejoice in tribulation. Stiplus is the great Greek word. It means pressure, to squeeze something, to squeeze grapes to their wine, to squeeze olives to their olive oil. It means pressure. So we rejoice in pressure. So God, God doesn't say to us, Hey, you're going to go through a hard time. I demand that you are joyous during this hard time. It's, it's like him twisting your arm and says, smile, smile. That's not what God's saying. God's saying, when you know ahead of time the outcome of something, you can be happy. You can have joy in it because you know the outcome is going to be good. So God tells us the last chapter when we're still in the first chapter. Anybody used to read books like me? I just sneak to the last chapter, make sure it had a good ending, because I'm not interested in reading any more bad ending books, you know. <laughs> then I can enjoy the detail. We rejoice in pressures, knowing that pressure, tribulations, produce perseverance, one of the most important virtues or fruit of the Spirit that is elevated in importance both here in the book of Hebrews and the ministry of Christ and the teachings of Christ is perseverance. So when I go through hardships or pressure and I stay with them, I develop this capacity to endure, to persevere. 
and persevere rewards me with developed character. And character is seen and manifested by hope. So th these things, I, I want you to get them because here's what the Bible says. When pressure comes, it's not your enemy. It is the tool that's going to make you stronger. It's the tool that's going to make you more like Christ. And our goal is to be more like Christ. All of us share this common purpose and that is to be Christ-like. We were predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son, chapter 8 will tell us, that Christ might be the firstborn of many brethren. So my highest calling is to be like Jesus. And pressure allows me the opportunity for the molding of my character, especially if I don't quit. So I, I have my don't quit birthday, don't quit, my, my life message, don't quit. And so... Pressure gives me the opportunity. Jesus said this in the book of John. He said, in the world, the cosmos, the current arrangement of a fallen world, you will have pressure. You will have tribulation. So, so Jesus said, the greatest weapon of the world is pressure. But then he said, be of good cheer. I've conquered it. So it's intended purpose to destroy you. Christ says, I've defanged the snake. The snake's still here, but it can't kill you. It can only make you quit. And you only quit if you give up. And if you don't give up, you always win. Something good's going to happen. So I brought here, this is, you know, we, we have guys in the service today that, that lift like three times. This is a 25-pound barbell and uh, dumbbell, I think it's called. And so when I lift it, it's developing, this, this is in kind of my range of muscular inability, 25 pounds. And when I lift it, it puts pressure on my muscles. But if I keep doing it, it gets easier to lift. And so the things that I'm lifting today that seem heavy, if I keep lifting them, they become lighter because my enduring capability has increased. My muscle mass has increased. And so everyone wants to be a strong Christian. No one wants any weight. <laughs> Lord, make me like you. Boom. That's not what I meant. I meant just touch me in the forehead. Or have, have Pastor Maiden wave his hand over me, and I'll go home and be the most Christ-like person. I wish it was like that. Don't you? I want to be like you. So he gives me opportunities, the world does, and, and these opportunities aren't designed to crush me. They're designed to mold me into a character that reflects Christ. So we have to, I, I really want to convince young people, stop quitting every time pressure shows up. If we don't learn how to handle pressure, we'll never fulfill our purpose because all the enemy has to do is show up and manifest pressure and people run. They run from jobs or families or marriages or ministries, whatever, when pressure comes, they keep moving around trying to find a non-pressurized place. But as long as we live with that vulnerability, you have to learn to manage. You have to learn to stay. You have to learn to lift it. And when you learn to lift it, you conquer it. It becomes useful. It becomes then a tool to make us strong. And, and then the outcome, the reward, the consequence is this. A person with developed character, a person with mature character is going to have this thing called hope. 
So, so the goal is this. This person's been through all kinds of tribulation, pressure, stress, anxiety, troubles, problems. They stayed with it, and they still have hope. So, so look for people that have hope even though they've been through hardships. You would think because this generation celebrates victimization as if it's a virtue. But so everyone goes through stuff, and you should tell your story. I wrote a whole book about my story. I believe in honesty and vulnerability about my story. But I also believe that if I didn't end up in, in hope, my story's not over. I'm not fully developed. My maturity has been abated. It's been detoured by something along that, that journey. So whenever you end up at hope, so the person who's been through hell and still has hope is a person worth listening to. You don't need any more cynical, angry, bitter people, especially in pulpits, but anywhere. So when a person can go through all those, so it's a mark of maturity or Christ-like character, developed character, when you have hope. Amen? So here's what I know. God's going to work it out. Don't stress out. Young people, don't stress out. I know things are tough. I know this is a tough time to have a family, start a business, be in ministry, get married, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, I know all those things, but you're going to make it. You're going to make it. God's with you. He's not going to fail you. And you're going to have hope about it. And you're going to become a contributor to what God wants to do instead of a, a, a person who makes commentary about what the, de- the devil's doing. Okay. So we have a next verse, verse 5, and hope does not disappoint. Wow. How true is that? First point, hope does not disappoint. What does that mean? Hope never fails. I say this and I, I've, I, I've really learned to live. This is kind of my own testimony, but it has biblical narrative and foundation. Hope is the oxygen of the human soul. Our hearts suffocate without hope. You know your heart's healthy when it dreams again or manifests hope. Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred, lost, stolen, makes your heart sick. But when desire or hope manifested comes, it's a tree of life. Hope is the confident and joyous expectation of good for the future. So you have to say in 2023, my future's looking great. You have to say like one of my friends said, the best is yet to come. You have to say that. I want to be, you know, someday when Matthew and maybe his, whoever's leading the church in, 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 in 30 years, I want to come up here to this pulpit and say, this is going to be my best year ever. I know I'm 94, but I expect this year to be the, I want to keep living every year like that. And I don't want to live in the regret. I don't want to live in the remorse. I don't want to live looking back. I want to live looking forward. And so, developed character in Christ keeps resurrecting hope inside of me because my hope's not based on circumstances or people or natural conditions. It's based on God's promises. The, The 15th chapter gives a great verse. Chapter 15, verse 13 says this, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. When I have hope... It brings me joy and peace. May you abound in hope through the presence of the Holy Spirit. So God's will is not just that I have enough hope not to drown, but that I have enough to abound. 
And abounding hope means this. I have so much, I'm just splashing it on everyone else. At every place we go, we're ambassadors of encouragement or of hope. And tell people, God's working. <laughs> God's working. Second point, verse 8. I'm going to skip a couple of verses because of time's sake. God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So this is just such a beautiful, high-reaching, theologically valuable verse. And it says this, Christ died for sinners that didn't even know who he was, didn't care what he did, didn't know the weight of his sacrifice. God loved us before we knew anything about him. And, and, and so the proof that God loves you is the cross of Jesus Christ where Christ took your place, my place, and died and take, took our sins. Before we had one thought about him, he had all kinds of thoughts about us and died for us. John 3 says this, God so loved the world. Let me say it like this, God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in that son, Jesus, would not perish, but have everlasting life. God so loves you. Don't let life lie to you about God. Don't let life, don't misinterpret your pressure as God not loving you. God loves you in the worst moments of your life. God's loved you when you were just a thought. God looked from eternity past, saw all you, fell in love with you, sent his son to die for you. Amen? The next verse is Paul starts contrasting Adam and Christ. He says, because in Adam we were all born in sin, we were all born that under the weight of that sin, really the, the impossibility of ever being anything other than a sinner. We were born then with a DNA of a sinful condition. But when we were born again, we had a brand new DNA, a brand new expression of God put into us. And in Adam, we were one thing, but in Christ, we're another thing. In Christ, my new nature is superior in every way to my old nature. In every single way. So God's given us this new nature. But kind of culminating these verses is verse 17, one of my favorite verses. I pray this verse every single day. For if by one man's offense, that's Adam, death reigned through the one, much more, in Latin it's called a prori, when you compare two things, one's lesser, if the lesser is true, how much more is the greater? So here's the contrast between Adam and Christ. If that's true, how much more then is this true in Christ? Much more those who receive abundance of grace. What is abundance of grace? More than you need. Come on, more than you need. Abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Now this next line, it, it scares religious people. Most American pulpits won't talk about it. I love, to, I pray it every day. Will reign in life through the one Christ Jesus. Those that have received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness Righteousness, being right with God, a right standing with God, restored innocence, and being justified, and then imputed righteousness, which is this beautiful rightness with God, the same right righteousness that Christ has is now mine. So it's really 
and identity future. So when I, when I know my kingdom identity in Christ and, and then begin to live in the resources of his grace, I conquer life. Will reign in life, not in heaven. Will reign in life. And here's a guy who went to prison. He was persecuted. He is, you know, he gives his testimony being beaten five times, being mistreated. But, but he never stopped reigning because his circumstances didn't control the internal atmosphere of his heart reigning. You reign over wickedness by doing good. You reign over sorrow by having joy. You reign over peace, uh, anxiety by having peace. He reigned over life and didn't let, didn't let life mold him into someone else. He reigned through his identity. He reigned through God's grace. So I'm talking today, the Bible says in 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, kings and priests. A holy nation, a peculiar people that you might show forth the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The Bible, get all the way from Exodus to the book of Revelation, the Bible talks about this theme of kings and priests. Kings and priests, this duality of nature. I'm a priest to God, but God may be a king to rule over the power of the devil, the uh, dominion of sin, and to rule over his creation. God made us to be rulers. And when we walk with God, that, that, that sovereign destiny begins to awaken. And we refuse to let life conquer us. I don't know what you're facing, but you're going to conquer it. You're going to reign over it. We'll reign in life. I'm talking to kings and queens. I'm talking to world shakers and history makers. I'm talking to people that God gave through the Holy Spirit and through the promises of God and through the kingdom of God gave you access to, to tell the devil, man, you can't have my family, you can't have my health, you can't have my mind, you can't have my heart, you can't have, my, you can't have any of these things. Remember now, the most important thing in life is what you believe about Jesus Christ, but the second most important thing in life is what you believe about yourself. You'll never reign when you believe you are not called to reign. There's a whole segment of the church that believes that we are always to submit to kind of in a, in a humble way. We're supposed to submit to whatever life does. Yeah, yeah, I, I get it. I, I believe in humility. I try to practice it. I try to exhibit it when I'm traveling, when I'm ministering with my family, etc. But humility is not surrendering to the devil. Humility is the honest acknowledgement of who you are without pride. And the honest evaluation of knowing that God's great. Amen. Yeah, God's great. And so I pray, I call upon him, I serve him, I surrender to him. He's my Lord. I'm called to be more than a conqueror through him that loved me. 1 John 4, 4 says, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that's in you than he is in the world. Can you imagine talking? So every day I pray for the two things that translated into being a reigning person, abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. I thank God every day for, for those things. That no matter what my day has, no matter what my day demands from me, I have abundance of grace for it. So if this day's extra hard, I have extra grace. Okay, I, 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 I need you to get this. He closes out this chapter by saying, where sin abounds, grace is much more abound. Let me just help you with some ideas, okay? There will always be more forgiveness than sin. 
They were always in this world because of Christ be more healing than disease. There was always available more joy than sorrow. There will always be available more peace than anxiety. I don't care what the devil throws at you. You can reign over it. There will always be more of God's peace than the devil's fear and anxiety, stress, and pressure. Grace reigns. Grace is more. There will always be more freedom than bondage. There will always be more light than darkness. There will always be more love than hate. There will always be more truth than deception. There will always be more angels than devils. There will always be more anointing than demonic oppression. There will always be more hope than depression. There will always be more life than death. I reign because grace always rules in any environment it's allowed to manifest. There's always more than enough. God didn't create one star and call it the sun, and God created billions of galaxies. The average galaxy has a billion stars in it, just for fun. Let there be light. Everything God does is in abundance and extravagance. Yeah, go ahead and save your gold bars, but when you get to heaven... Gold is so common, the streets of heaven are paved with it. That's just showing off. Come on, man. Your most important thing here is my least important thing there. That's extravagance. That's, that's abundance. Trees don't produce one seed. They produce tens of thousands of seeds. Everything in creation has this magnificent abundance given to it. And it's all by God's design. And grace is represented in the abundance of God saying, I got you. I got you. If the devil, let's like this. If the devil's ratcheting things up in the world like I think he is, God's ratcheting things up. There will always be more grace than sin. There will always be more anointing than demonic oppression. So whatever the devil is doing, get ready. God's going to outdo it. Whatever it is. So I can live fearlessly. I can live boldly. I can live confidently. I can live hopefully, knowing the best is yet to come, no matter what it is. Yes, we go through hardships. Yes, sometimes we have to lift some heavy things. But the end of that lifting season is going to be, I came out of it better than I went into it. I came out of it strong. I thought it might destroy me, but actually God used it to make me stronger. God used it to build my muscles. God used it to develop my character. God used it to teach me how to live in hope even when life feels hopeless. I know what it's like to feel hopeless. We went through a season when I had 15 attorneys concurrently. And they weren't hopeful men. <laughs> they might have been. They just never had any hope for me. So I know what it's like to have constant debrage of bad news. And then I know what it's like that God talked to you about it. God says, I want you to change. Before all that bad news changes, I want to change you. I want you to start dreaming while life is still a dungeon. I want you to start dreaming while life is still a, a dungery, a hardship. I want you to start dreaming when you're still going through it. If you can have hope now, you're going to spring out of this thing. 
my son got his four-year-old daughter a little baby trampoline. It's the cutest thing ever in the backyard. She's out there springing up. Hope allows me to spring up and see things way beyond my eye level. I'm, look at that. Look at me bounce. Look at the resilience hope gives me. Look at the dreams hope restores to me. This is God's calling to us that we would, in Christ, reign in life. That in Christ we would be people that show the world how to do it. The world's falling apart. Culture's trying to dismantle the, any evidence of Christian backgrounds or Christian traditions. It's, it's, it's all, and, and, and I, I know all that's happening, but in the meantime, let's live lives that testify of our Jesus and his goodness, his faithfulness, and let's be so hopeful no matter who's in office. You with me? Elected or selected, I don't, it depends on who you talk to. No matter who's in office, my hope's not with them, my hope's with him, and because my hope's with him, I have hope even when, even when people are goofy. Come on, I've prophesied over lots of goofy Christians, <laughs> lots of goofy politicians. Doesn't matter. God's on his throne, and the best is yet to come. Hey, thanks for listening to me today. Would you stand your feet, please? Thanks for the celebration. David Sky, I, I just want to say this. I saw the seasons change. They're going to change abruptly, suddenly, supernaturally. God's moving in a great way. And so sometimes we do everything we can, and we can't move mountains. God snaps his fingers, and those mountains disappear. Something good's about to happen. Something incredible. Amen? Come on, lift your hands to heaven, everybody. Prayer team, if you join me down front. Lord, thank you for the hope that you give us, the hope that's in Christ, the hope that's in your spirit, the hope that is in our inheritance, in your kingdom. We celebrate it. We, we receive it. Lord, help us to exhibit it, such a high level of it, to become so attractive to others by joy, by peace that hope brings. And help us to manifest the character of Christ in all that we do. That's our highest calling. Hey, as we close today's service, and... Um, Thank you. I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed that so much time was spent on me, but um, my wife says it only happens every few years. Shut up and sit there and enjoy it. <laughs> Paraphrasing her. As we close the service, if you need prayer for any reason, we're here to pray with you. And I felt this in February. I felt that people were going to see in February breakthroughs and miracles about battles they'd gone through in January or maybe previous months before January too, that, that this is going to be a turnaround month. I really believe that. It's in my heart that that's happening. If you've never received Christ as your Savior, if you don't know, know what that means, that sentence, if you don't know if you're saved or not, if you don't know if your sins are forgiven, man, we'd be so honored to pray for you. That'd be the high point of this service, people coming to Christ. Don't don't live another day without knowing the reason why you're on this planet. If you've been away from God, make today your homecoming Sunday. If you need a physical healing in your body, we're here to pray for you, stand with you, and declare God's healing power over you. If you need prayer for any of those reasons, you come forward, church, just for 90 seconds longer. Would you worship God with me while those seeking prayer come forward?
love you. Have a wonderful rest of your day and week. If you're able to join us at 1 o'clock for our, our family time, we'd be honored to be with you. And uh, we'd be honored if you could come back and have a cheeseburger and some cake. Tell someone Jesus loves you like crazy. God bless you.